Is there anybody other than me who is sick and tired of 2020 and so glad to start a new year 2021? Well, here at SMCC, we've got a great way to begin 2021 with a brand new sermon series called Hebrew 101, seven words that every Christian should know. Now, you may be wondering, why would a Christian want to know a Hebrew word anyway? Well, see, we are part of not just the Christian faith, but we're a part of what's called the Judeo-Christian faith. Christianity is rooted in Judaism. In order to better understand Christianity, you really need to understand a little bit about Judaism in the background. As you know, Mary and Joseph were Jews and Jesus was a Jew and and the Apostle Paul and John the Baptist were Jews and, and they grew up in that Jewish culture and tradition. So have you ever looked at your family tree or your genealogy and you said, aha, I didn't know that was back in my heritage or ancestry. When you do that, you have some aha moments. We think in these seven weeks exploring these seven Hebrew words, we're going to have some aha moments about our faith. And as we water our Jewish roots, I think we're going to bear fruit to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Really, Jesus is teaching grew out of Judaism. So our scripture for today is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. And the word that we study first is the word Shema, S-H-E-M-A. And the scripture that I'll be reading in just a moment has the word Shema in it. And the word Shema, S-H-E-M-A, means hear. Listen for the word of God, Deuteronomy 6, 1 and following. Now, this is the commandment, the statues and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you're about to cross into and occupy. So that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you so that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently so that it may go well with you and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, your God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, or Shema, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God. I ask that you would pour through me, please, the gift of preaching, that these words might not simply be a human word or a human voice or a human opinion, but by a miracle of your grace, these words might become your living word to us. And we pray, O God, that these words would help every one of us, every one of us, to take the next step on our journey of faith with you, no matter where we are on that journey. All this we pray with great anticipation for what we're going to hear from you today. And we pray in the strong name of Jesus, whose birth we're celebrating. Amen. I absolutely love the story of the young man who went into the card shop searching for just the right card for the girl that he loved. 
He told the owner of the store the kind of card he was looking for to express a deep sentiment of love. And the owner of the store said to him, young man, I think I've got just the card for you. And she handed him the following card, which read simply to the only girl I ever loved. The young man said, this is perfect, wonderful. Give me six of those. Obviously, that young man had a problem with commitment. And obviously, the people of Israel had a problem with commitment, too. And Moses knew it. That's why Moses gathered all the people of Israel together when they're on the brink of entering a new stage of their history. And he taught them what he wanted to teach them about God. Now, let me set the scene for you. The people of Israel were in captivity in Egypt and Moses led them out of Egypt across the Red Sea into the wilderness of Sinai. And they wandered in that wilderness for 40 years. Finally, they came north toward the nation which would with Palestine, which would become the land of Israel. And they went into a land of Moab. And from Moab, you could see across the Dead Sea into Canaan, Palestine, the promised land where the, the Israelites were to call home. And as they gathered right on that precipice, right on the border, looking over, they could see it from there. Moses gathered them all together and the whole book of Deuteronomy is really all the teachings of Moses that he gave them as they were poised on the brink of a new land. He taught them all that God had done for them over the past, how God had tried to teach them trust and faith and how God wanted to be number one in their life. But as they're poised there on the brink, Moses was going to give them some very special instruction. Now, before I tell you a little more about what Moses did in that instruction, I want to ask you to remember a time in your life when you were poised on the brink of a new adventure. Maybe it's something new, a transition in your life, and you're about to go into a new chapter of life for yourself or for your family. Maybe it's a new career or a new chapter of a career, or maybe a child is going off to college or getting married, or there's a new stage in your life that you're about to go into, and you're poised, about to go into that new stage of life. And can you remember any advice that anybody gave you that maybe stuck with you? See, this is what Moses is hoping. He wants to give these people some good advice that will stick with them and that they will always remember it and never forget it. And I also wonder whether you've ever had a time in your family's life when you gave somebody advice and you tried to give it to them in such a way that they would remember it and always keep it in their mind right before their very eye. Suzanne and I have two sons, one named Toby. He and his wife, Katie, and their children go to San Marino Community Church along with Suzanne and I. And, and we love having them here and love, near, love living near them in Claremont. But we've got another son named Ryan, and he's a, a captain in the United States Navy. He went to the United States Naval Academy, and he and his wife, Holly, have four children that are basically grown now. The youngest is in high school, and, and they've grown, and, and they have a wonderful family. But Ryan has, to the hardship of his family, had many assignments around the nation and around the world, and he's been at sea and in other nations many times. Well, every time he goes out in the deployment, the commanding officer always brings everybody together and gives them some final instructions. And then he always says one final thing the commanding officer does, and that is remember the chain of command. Remember who is in charge. Because they're always tempted when they get into a new assignment to want to do things their way. 
But the commanding officer is saying, remember who's in charge. Remember the chain of command. If you don't remember that, you're going to get off into this new assignment, this new deployment, maybe at sea or in another land, and everything is going to be chaos. So you've got to obey and follow the chain of command. Otherwise, it's not going to work out well for you. And that's really what Moses was trying to do in that land of Moab as they looked into the land of Canaan, they looked at that new land and Moses was really saying to the people, remember the chain of command, remember who's in charge. If you don't make God number one in your life, it is not going to go well for you. There's going to be chaos in this new land. And so when Moses tried to consolidate all of this teaching into, into one word, he chose the word Shema. S-H-E-M-A. And Shema really means hear or listen or pay attention or yo, listen up. And he tried to get their attention and tell them, Shema, listen, because this thing I'm telling you is essential. This isn't an addendum to your life. This is your life. Now listen up here. Hear what I'm going to say. And then he said to them, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these things that I've commanded to you today in your heart. Keep them in your heart. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're away from home and when you're at home. Talk about them when you're lying down and when you rise up in the morning. Put them on the doorposts of your house so you see them when you come in and when you go out and put them on your wrist and even on your forehead. So you always remember, remember, remember to keep God as number one in your life. See, Moses knew that left to their own devices, the people of Israel would get out into that new land and they'd want to be like the other nations. And they would give a card, you're the only God I've ever loved, to all the gods they were worshiping. They'd give that card to Yahweh God, but they'd also make alliances with other nations. And they'd say to them, well, these political alliances, you're the God of my life. You're the only God I've ever loved. And then Moses knew that there were the Baals out there. B-A-A-L, Baal is a God of fertility God, a God that gave sunshine and rain and so forth. The crops would be irrigated and would be able to grow properly. And Moses knew that that God, Baal, demanded worship. So he could see the people of Israel giving a card to Yahweh. You're the only God I've ever loved. A card to other nations for a political alliance. You're the only God I've ever loved. A card to the Baal. You're the only God I've ever loved. So they'd have fertility. And all the other gods that they would worship they would give a card to all those gods saying, you're the only God I've ever loved. But really they were having syncretism. They would be worshiping many gods at the same time. And Moses said, look, your heart wasn't designed to love six or eight or 10 gods. Your heart is designed to love one God. You have only room in your heart for one all-embracing devotion now, who's it going to be? Who's going to be number one in your life? And he was saying, if you make God number one, Yahweh God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, if you make that God number one in your life, then all the things of your life are going to fall into their proper place. But if you try to put something else in the place that only God can occupy, well, then it's not going to go very well for you. Your heart has only one all-embracing devotion. Moses was really preaching and teaching a robust monotheism. Now, what does that mean? Robust monotheism, I believe, means that there aren't other gods. 
We may worship other gods. We may think there are other gods, but there aren't other gods. In other words, the only God who exists, really, the only God who can sustain our life, the only God who is the creator, the only God who has the capacity and the strength to be the rock-solid foundation of our life is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God who's going to be revealed, Moses would say, in the person of Jesus Christ down the road several 2,000 years But see, what Moses is getting at is there are not many gods. We think there are other gods, but other gods are an illusion. And he was trying to get the people to see that there really is only one all-encompassing one who can demand our respect and our allegiance and our worship and our adoration. And that is the God revealed in Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, the people of Israel had all these gods they thought they believed in, but People in, the, in, those, in that time, they, they wanted to worship all the different kinds of gods that they wanted. But Moses was saying, you can only worship one God. Now, what about you and me? I wonder if we worship other gods. If we're honest, isn't it true that sometimes we worship power or popularity or prestige? Or sometimes doesn't standard of living sneak into the place that only God could occupy? Or sometimes doesn't money sneak in to be a God, an idol of our life? And we say, we've got to have money to pay the bills. And of course, and and God wants us to have a a standard of living. But, But see, the point is, there's only one that can be the top priority, number one in our life. If God is number one, then money and standard of living and career and and family and all these other commitments and and popularity can fit into a proper, healthy perspective. But if any of those things seep their way into the place that only God can occupy, all of life falls apart. This is why Moses said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And family is seductive. You can think that your wife or your husband is number one, the most important person in your life, but but actually if they become number one in your life, all of life is distorted. Jesus talked about this in his ministry. He said, if you love father or mother or son or daughter or husband or wife more than me, you are not worthy of me. And we read that and we wonder, what does he mean? And what Jesus is simply saying is not that you should love father or mother. One of the Ten Commandments is love father and mother. But if you make father and mother your God or son or daughter your God or husband or wife your God, all of life is distorted. So I say to every couple where I perform a wedding, Don't make your spouse number one. Make God number one. Put Jesus Christ at the center of your marriage. And then your marriage will be able to love each other, not expecting more of your spouse than they could possibly ever fulfill. And so many people put children very subtly as the number one priority of their life. They almost worship and adore their children and and they put expectations on their children that no child could ever fulfill. And very subtly, their children become their God. Let me illustrate this. I know a family very well. And the parents took their beloved daughter to college. 
They dreamed that they were going to drive to the campus and stay overnight at a nice hotel and have a leisurely breakfast the morning she was going to go to her dorm. And they'd have a long, leisurely breakfast, drive her to the campus and take about 30 minutes or 45 minutes to carry her things in. And the father was going to spend his morning getting her hooked into the Internet and, and into the wireless at the school and into the school library computer and all that so she could download books and articles. And the, the mother would spend the morning with the bedspreads and the draperies in the girls' dorm room as a freshman girl in college. And, and then they would meet some other girls in the dorm and they would take them out to lunch about 1130 or 12 and have a long leisurely lunch and get to know them. And, and then the parents would drive the girl back to the campus and sit on a park bench and say goodbye to her and maybe have a prayer with her. And then around three or 330, they'd start the drive home. Well, this was their fantasy, see, of what they were going to do with their daughter taking her to college. Well, they, they got there to the campus in the morning. They were to check in at the dorm. The girl got up and said, Mom and Dad, I, I'm so nervous. I got butterflies in my stomach. I couldn't possibly eat anything, so I don't want breakfast. Let's just go to the campus. And so the, the mother and dad wolfed down a cup of coffee and they got to the campus. And, and these, these boys, uh, these upper class guys saw this good looking freshman girl and they they wanted to to see her and help her so they drove they they put took all her stuff up to the room and it took about eight minutes or 10 minutes to get her into her room and and the boys took about 11 seconds 15 seconds to get her hooked into the internet and and then they said to the girl by the way are you hungry and the girl the freshman girl said oh i'm starved my parents didn't get me any breakfast this morning so they said, well, would you like breakfast? She said, boy, would I? And so they started to walk down the hall, the couple of guys and this girl, and they were picking up other girls on the way. And then the girl stopped at the end of the hallway and she ran back and said, bye, mom, bye, dad. Give him a kiss on the cheek. I'll see you at Thanksgiving. <clears throat> bye bye. And she's gone. And they looked at their watches. It was 9.05. And they realized they had the whole day ahead of them. And they went out to breakfast themselves and they laughed at themselves. Thank God. And they realized they had put expectations on their daughter that no daughter could ever fulfill. They had made the daughter the number one priority of their life. See, this is why Moses said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Because if anything, even good things get in the way that only God can occupy, you're missing that commandment. And Moses said, if you want to prosper in this new land, make God the number one priority of your life. Only God can fulfill the deepest hunger. Only God can assuage the deepest thirst of our life. No marriage, no relationship with a child, no career, no standard of living, no amount of money can ever ultimately fulfill us. This is why St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. See, you can search for gods in all the wrong places. But Moses kept saying to them, make God number one in your life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and might and write it on your wrist. The Jewish people wrote it in a little, little box on their wrist. This commandment, this Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart. They wrote it on their forehead. They wrote it on the doorposts of their home called a mezuzah. And every time they went in and out of their door, they would remember, remember, remember the Shema. Make God the number one priority of your life. Did any of you see on December the 21st that alignment of Jupiter and Saturn it was called the Great Conjunction. They came together. Now, they hadn't come together like that in a Great Conjunction in over 800 years. 
but maybe some of you saw with a telescope or even binoculars or even the naked eye just looking at it, that great incredible conjunction, some called it the Christmas star. I wonder if something like that was what the wise men, these kings, these astrologers saw 2,000 years ago. See, they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. Gentiles, anybody who's not a Jew. They, they didn't really understand the prophecies of the Jewish Messiah, but yet they knew instinctively. When they saw that alignment of the stars, they knew that a king that was going to be born, something great was going to happen. And so they tried to figure out what it was, and they followed that star. And when they saw the star, they realized something great was happening underneath that star. And they realized a child was going to be born. And they, they took that child gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They wanted to get their lives, even though they weren't Jews, they wanted to get their life in alignment with that king. Something made them realize an epiphany. This was a, a manifestation of Jesus, the Christ child, to the whole world. Those kings, those wise men, those astrologers were symbolic of the whole world. And, and on this Sunday, the first Sunday of a new year, we celebrate what's called Epiphany, the celebration of the, of the wise men, the magi, coming to visit the Christ child. But what it means is it's the manifestation of Jesus Christ to the whole world. What the birth of this baby means is that God wants everybody to know God personally. God wants to be known. He doesn't want to be an addendum in our life. He wants to be our life. He doesn't want to be an also ran, a second or third or tertiary place in our life. He wants to occupy the primary place because only when God occupies the primary place in our lives, then everything else can fit into its proper place. But if we try to put something in the place that only God can occupy, our life falls apart. Is there anybody here this morning listening to this message who needs to get into alignment with God? Christina Rossetti is an 18th century poet. She wrote this great poem that I love, In the Bleak Midwinter. And after she died, it was made into a song and into a Christmas carol. It's one of my favorites. But In the Bleak Midwinter talks about how cold and hard and tough and brittle the ground is when it's frozen in the winter. Yet Rossetti says it's into that very place where the, the Christ child came. And what she really means in the song is that the Christ child can soften even the tough, brittle earth and our tough, brittle souls that, that won't let him in. And then in the last stanza, Rossetti says this, what can I give this Christ child as poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would give a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what can I give him? I'll give my heart. See, what God ultimately wants is not just our money or our time. God wants us. God wants our heart. God wants us to give God our whole life, to put our full weight down on him. But but how do we do that? How do we do it in, in Los Angeles, California in 2021? How do we go about doing it? Well, there was a man in a hospital room who learned how to do it. He did it in a very authentic way. And I hope as you think about how can I put my full weight down on God in 2021, I hope you'll find an authentic way that works for you. I just close with this thought that there was a man dying in a hospital bed. His doctor told he and his daughter that he only had a few weeks to live. 
The daughter took a deep breath and looked at her dad as to how he was going to take the news. And the father took it all right. And the doctor left and said he would leave the two of them alone. And the dad said to his daughter, I, I only regret that I, I haven't gotten to know God. I, I, I wish I'd learned how to pray. I don't even know how to pray. And the daughter went by the Catholic church on her way home. And she asked the priest if he would come and visit her dad, which he did. And the priest said to the father, you know, if you want to learn how to pray the way I do it is I, I would, if I were you, I'd put a chair up right by the side of your bed and have the nurse put it up real close. And when you want to talk to God, just picture Jesus in that chair and just talk to Jesus about your sadness or your fears or your anger or your worries or whatever's on your mind, something that's happy. Just talk to him about it. Just talk to him like you and I are talking here. And and the father did that, and he got into a relationship with God that developed, and he became quite in, enjoying his prayer life. His daughter commented of how great it was that her dad had gotten to know God, but, but the father never told her what the priest told him. One day, the, fa- the daughter was visiting the daughter, and she took a break to go out and get a breath of fresh air, and when she came back, her, her father was gone. He had He had died. She took all her stuff out of the room and put it in her car and was going home. And she stopped at the church to tell the priest her dad had died. And the priest said, you know, your father responded so well when I taught him about prayer. And the girl said, yeah, he, my dad said that he'd gotten to know God through prayer, but, but I just never knew how you did it or what you said. And the, the priest said, oh, I just told your dad that if he wanted to pray, talk to God, just picture Jesus in the chair beside the bed and pull the chair up real close and just talk to Jesus like we're talking. And the daughter burst into tears. The priest said, I'm so sorry if I said the wrong thing. She said, no, no, you didn't say the wrong thing. It's just that now I understand. And the priest said, what do you understand? She said, well, When I went back into the room to see my father and when he had died, his body was in the bed, but his head wasn't on the pillow. He had stretched out and his head was in the chair. Oh, my SMCC friends, is this going to be the year when you'll give a card to the only God I've ever loved to all of the many gods that we worship and and don't think that we don't worship other gods, we do. Or could this be the year when we would throw away all the other cards and give the one card to the only God I ever loved, to the only God who can sustain us, to the only God who can take care of us, to the only God who can keep us going in the midst of a pandemic when we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future And his name is Jesus Christ. That dad in the bed dying found a way to give his heart to Jesus. He found a way to align himself with Jesus. Is this the year we'll make God number one? Amen.